0: My name is Grant Oliphant, and welcome to Stronger Than This. This is a special podcast series of candid conversations about life amid COVID-19. This is not our regular We Can Be season. Stay tuned for that later this year. The Stronger Than This series features several new episodes each week. They're recorded remotely. You'll hear from folks on the front lines of the virus crisis as they share firsthand the experiences, challenges, victories, and what they see for the long road ahead, as we use this moment to hopefully reimagine and reinvent the society that brought us here in the first place. My guest today is Monica Ruiz, the executive director of Casa San Jose, a nonprofit that supports and advocates for Latino communities on issues related to integration and self-sufficiency. Monica was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and has Latino roots in Guatemala and Puerto Rico, where her parents are originally from. Monica has a master's degree in social work with a focus on community organizing and social action. She fights for those facing deportation proceedings and has expertise in projects that help women, children, and youth. In 2019, she received both the Women of Influence Award from the Pittsburgh Business Times and the Cesar Chavez Community Heroes Award. Monica, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the heavy stuff, how are you doing? How are you faring through this?
1: It's difficult because running a nonprofit remotely within itself is hard Mm -hmm. and doing it at the speed that we're doing it right now because the need is so high is also very difficult. We've had to rethink the way that we do things and a lot of people are basically putting themselves at risk so that other people can be taken care of. You know, I have three children at home, you know, trying to teach them is not ideal for me or for anyone. <laughs> I have such respect for teachers. I've always had respect for teachers. Right. Many folks in my family are teachers. And now it's just gone to a totally different level. But I'm very fortunate because I didn't spend a lot of time with my kids before. And this has made it much more possible for me to spend time with them. And and every day at seven they're like, okay, it's time to stop, you know, we either play a game of soccer or we go for a walk or something. So it's really nice,
0: actually. They call an end to your day.
1: Oh, yes, they do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's great. I hear a lot from parents, by the way, who are home and teaching for the first time about the newfound respect that they have for teachers. I hope that's one of the things that will come out of all of this is that parents will think differently about the role of teachers in their lives as well as their kids' lives. You mentioned that it's hard enough also running a nonprofit where You're inviting people to have to do things that put them at risk of exposure from COVID-19. Let's talk a little bit about that. Just tell us a little bit about what Casa San Jose does.
1: Casa San Jose is still technically operating as if it were two months ago. Instead of coming into the office and getting assistance, whether it's a referral to a doctor, registering your children in school, or whatever it might be, instead of doing that in person, you just call and then that call is then directed to the correct staff. Some of the things that have had to change is that this mass food operation that we have, uh, we're sending out about 500 meals a week. So you'll get a cooked meal from a restaurant for you and all of your family members. Those meals come along with groceries Mm -hmm. for a week. And in those boxes, we're also putting information that we really are trying to get out to the community. And then we are doing a lot of work on the census. We are calling people. We are texting people. We've adopted this new model. It's called the community deputies. We have so many people that we service that and all of our staff are really working really hard. And so we have a group of eight community leaders that we've trained to call and do an assessment, and then they provide uh, resources based on the needs, and they're also collecting data so that we can then configure our programming around the needs of the community at this time.
0: It's so interesting that you know, on the one hand, through the census work, you're trying to make sure that everybody gets counted, and at the same time, you're feeding people. And yeah. was it always this way for you, or? Is the food component ratcheted up hugely because of the crisis that we're in? And how do you balance the immediate need with the need also to make sure that folks are counted so that future benefits flow to this region?
1: We did not have a food distribution component to Casa in the past. Mm-hmm. But when this started, you know, a lot of the folks that we work with work in the hospitality industry so they're tipped employees whether they're restaurant workers or hotel workers and so their lack of income came immediately because they weren't working you know those sectors closed down and and they had no income and so it was a matter of how can we get food to these folks as soon as possible because people are going hungry Mm -hmm. there was a doctor who came up with this brilliant idea dr bartz and he was just delivering food to casa one day that people were donating. And then he decided that he would ask his friends to donate money so that he could purchase lunches at locally owned restaurants at a very discounted cost. And then those lunches would go to the families. So he calls it the double play. And because restaurants are making money and they're able to pay their employees and then people are eating. Right. Every day of the week is a different restaurant and every day of the week is a different place. So, we, I mean, obviously, Beachview, we're, getting, we're handing out food in Beachview, but we're also delivering these meals in Monroeville, Cranberry, and even as far as Washington County.
0: And this has been one of the extraordinary things about Pittsburgh's response to the crisis, not just the level of food that has been provided. We've seen extraordinary lines like we've never experienced, at least in our recent history. but. In addition to providing the level of food, there's been some real creativity around how it's getting provided. And you're not only providing food to people who need it, but you're also creating work at restaurants and you're creating a use for produce that otherwise is getting destroyed by farmers. And so it's actually a triple play, I think. <laughs> uh, hats off to you for doing it. Has it been difficult to m- navigate the process of getting volunteers out into the community so that they're comfortable being in a setting where they may be exposed to the virus?
1: First, I wanted to say that I forgot to mention that 412 Food Rescue. If we did not have the partnership with 412 Food Rescue, we would not be able to to feed as many people as we are. I just wanted to make that very clear yeah. that they do a phenomenal job, and we are very, very grateful for that partnership. You know, at CASA, we have always been really blessed to have such a wonderful network of volunteers. When we decided that we needed to get this food out, so there was a time where, like the first week, you know, we didn't have this elaborate plan. And so we just had like staff at the office and we were handing out meals and food at the office. And then we realized very quickly that there were many other people that needed this. And so we said, okay, well, we'll ask our volunteers, you know, because our volunteers are always there for us. And not only that, they were calling and asking if they could help, but one of the things that we really saw was our own community members, our own community members who hadn't worked in a week or two, who themselves don't have anything, wanted to help. And they said, you know, anything. Is there anything we can do? Please let us do anything. Mm -hmm. They themselves are packaging the meals. They're delivering the meals. They're doing all kinds of things that a lot of allies would have done in the past. So we've got a nice mix of people, both American-born and immigrants that are helping one another, and it's beautiful to see.
0: And meanwhile, the work of the census continues. Why does that matter so much in the context of what's happening in America today?
1: You know, Grant, I'm so glad you asked me this question. Every time I go somewhere or speak or anything. People are like, "Are there really Latinos in Pittsburgh?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, where is the rock that you've been hiding under?" But, you know, <laughs> or you know, a lot of people ask, "What is the percentage of Latinos? How many yeah, Latinos were, are here?" You right. know, and so based on the numbers that we've had that were 10 years ago, I mean, I've only been in Pittsburgh for about 12 and a half years myself, yeah. and when I first got here, there was no one, no one, no one, right? And so if we're going off those numbers, they're not accurate. The immigrant population, period, is very underrepresented, and the population has just grown so much. So I think it would be great to have an accurate number of folks that are here, and then that would also help us better advocate for services and other things that are needed.
0: Do you sometimes feel forgotten and ignored here?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So it's good that there's finally some attention being.
1: Yeah, and I think this region doesn't have the capacity to disseminate information to the community. And it's just so prevalent right now that we had to get information from California on COVID. Hmm. because it was in Spanish. It was accurate. It was up to date and we right. didn't have to translate it, you know? So just simple things like that, or like when people need to know if they can go to a doctor or, you know, we're not medical providers. And right. to us, when people call us, oh, we, I have a fever. I have, we, we say, call your doctor, call your doctor. We can't even give them any other sense of like calling the County because the phone line is in English only or like other resources right. They just aren't available in different languages, right. right? And so that's where we decided
0: we you can't have to play the role exactly. Right? Exactly. I'm convinced that this is a huge teachable moment for our country. That we should be learning lessons at every level, including locally and in disseminating information that's available in Spanish, for example, or collecting race and ethnic data when we're doing tests for a pandemic. I've had a whole education about how that data gets collected, and it's simply not been collected by labs and providers. Uh, So it makes it very difficult for the Department of Public Health to actually know who's being affected. So we're learning lessons like that. But then we're also learning lessons about society and our politics and the way we think about our country. I'm going to take you right up to the present moment and the announcement that just came from the White House um, yesterday that one of the responses that they have to all of this is to propose a ban on immigration for the next 60 days, which feels like a proposal they've been itching to make and waiting for an excuse to offer for a while for you as someone whose job is to serve an immigrant population that has clearly been targeted in recent years what strikes you about that and 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 how should we be thinking about it
1: a lot of what is happening and coming out of the current administration is scare tactics, right? Mm -hmm. So if I make you believe that immigrants are coming and stealing your jobs, and then I say, and I am going to stop that because I'm going to stop immigration. It just creates this narrative that immigrants are bad and that here I am, your leader in whatever capacity, I'm here to save you. So, Right. We have to kind of step away from that and so really change that narrative because, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, it, let's just be clear, this administration has been wanting to do this for a long time, and this mm-hmm. is just the perfect opportunity, but they're also painting it for something it's not. So let me just backtrack a little bit. So when we think about the public charge, the public charge was a rule that was proposed by this administration to say we are no longer going to allow folks obtain public benefits that are not American citizens because they're a drain to our systems and they're using all the resources. But in reality, even in the state of Pennsylvania, there has never been a case of an undocumented person receiving public benefits illegally, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know about across the country. I don't know that, but I know that here. What this public charge rule did, though, is if you don't know what's really going on, then what you're hearing is, yes, we need this. We need this right now because, you know, they're taking all our benefits and it has to stop. But what, like, there's always been a public charge rule. And in all actuality, the public charge rule started when slavery ended where they didn't want former slaves becoming a public charge, which it was, again, the narrative that they wanted people to think at that time. And so they're just bringing it back again so that people start to think in a negative way about immigrants. Now, this public charge rule, what it actually does, it, it puts barriers for folks like folks that have recently been released from jail, and things like that, because now they have to have an ID, and sometimes they don't even have their birth certificates. Birth certificates are like $30, and then an ID. You know, it just puts barriers for other folks that really need these services. And I think that what he's doing right now is not exactly stopping immigration. What he's doing is stopping folks that are eligible to become green card holders to get their green cards, which is just another barrier, you know, people complain about why is everyone undocumented? Well, there's reasons why, because there's really no pathway to citizenship for most people.
0: Right. And so this actually just becomes another barrier to becoming documented or, or to or to increasing your status. There's so many lessons we could be taking from this moment about who we are as a people and how we think about people who we consider other and immigrants are right now so often lumped into that category. We see people of color lumped into that category of all types. And this is, a unfortunately for black people, a very old and familiar history. I loved your discussion of the public charge rule going back to, to right after the Civil War. So there's been this long bias, largely by a white majority, against people who are perceived as coming in and taking their stuff. Is there a way we can use this as a teachable moment for the broader society to say, hey, let's take a real look at what's happening with immigrants in this moment and and in this crisis? What would you point people to?
1: You know, this is a time where people have come together in many different ways. And I think that we should look in the commonality of one another. People are always saying, well, you know, what's the law and immigration law and law and like, okay, law is law. But I have this really wonderful thing called morals, right? And I'm guided by my morals. Mm. And so, like, where did those go? Where? Why, how did we lose those things? Who are we to decide, you know, who can go, who can stay, when I would think that the majority of us were raised in a different way, regardless right. of religion, but just about good moral values, COVID has showed us, if anything, exclusion. We're excluding this population from Mm -hmm. assistance. We're excluding this state from help because they don't agree with this administration. We're excluding and excluding and excluding. And there's going to be a really horrible, horrible price to pay because of all of this exclusion. Maybe that might motivate folks to really start to think of things in a different way again more of how can we work together i've seen folks who are very much supporters of this administration who now are closing their businesses Mm -hmm. who now are, are losing everything that they have and realizing that things weren't really as black and white as they thought it was and Unfortunately, it took something like this for people to understand that. But we can't, like, we can't have this division of Republicans and Democrats or white or black or brown. Like, we, we just can't continue to function in that way. That's how we got ourselves in this mess. Like, we didn't get here at the last election or the election before that. Or, like, this is years and years of like the systemic racism and these thoughts of, you know, I'm better than you because of whatever. It's like a dog eat dog world right now. We can't continue to function like that.
0: I think that's so well said and in a way you've answered the question that I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think it really, this is a point that requires clarification in today's America. The question I want to ask is why not? You know, the, it, there are people who really believe that exclusion is exactly what we need. We need to push people away. We need to not let others in. We need to actually draw lines between various segments of society and try and and further divide us, that all of that will serve somehow to protect someone. From the perspective of somebody who is safeguarding America's long tradition of being an immigrant country, Why is that wrong? How do we convince the next generation coming out of this moment that that really isn't the way to go, this policy of exclusion?
1: Yeah. So I think that one of the main main things is education, right? And so we need to stop operating from a stance of scarcity Mm -hmm. because in reality, this country has enough wealth that we don't have to be in the situation that we're in right now. And it's not the immigrant that's picking your tomatoes in the fields that has that wealth. If you want to be angry about the way that things are operating right now, yes, be angry. Right now is a great time to organize because people are upset, right? And they want to see change. But we need to redirect that to the actual people that caused this problem. If we really want to make a change, again, we need to educate people and help them understand that if the people that have all the wealth in this country helped everyone else, we wouldn't need our little $1,200 relief check, right? We wouldn't need that because everyone would be doing their part because that tomato picker is paying their taxes and they're doing their part. And so I think education is really key here and redirecting the anger and the frustration and the disappointment. Because I'm disappointed right now, but I'm right. disappointed at our leaders because they're not leading.
0: What are you hearing from families, the families that you work with? And I know you work with families that are both documented and undocumented, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what you're hearing from both.
1: The one thing that the vast majority of the folks that we work with have in come is the language barrier. Mm. That's why I'm so worried about getting accurate information out as soon as possible. Right. And so... Um, Uh, The new order that the governor put out about the masks, I was really worried about that information not getting to all of the community. And so I have a a really good relationship with the Pittsburgh Police Department. And I immediately reached out and said, hey, people have to wear masks. I'm really worried that folks aren't getting the message. What can we do so that people aren't getting citations and or arrested, which then could lead to their deportation, right? What we did was that we were able to work with some Spanish-speaking Police officers that made a video on teaching how people how to put on the mask and take it off, and we also got a beautiful statement from Chief Schubert that said, "We are taking this as a teachable moment where we're just going to teach people about the benefit of wearing a mask." And in addition, we were able to secure a 500 mask donation that we gave mm. to Pittsburgh Police so that they could hand it out if they saw folks uh, without masks. And we're going to continue to be to give them masks you know so that they can continue to do that language is the first thing and then the second thing is this fear of even accessing services because of the cost a couple days after you know the covid action plan was going into place where some businesses were starting to close there was a gentleman who was in a hospital in central pa i believe it was scranton pa and he was picked up by ice And so ICE has these things called sensitive locations, which is schools, churches, and hospitals. The arrest of that, gentlemen, spread faster than COVID-19 here. So, like, that was everybody knew, and so then everyone is afraid to go to a hospital or to a doctor to be tested for COVID right. because of fear of being picked up by ICE.
0: Is that so, true even if they're documented, or do they still have that same worry?
1: Yes, it it is because there are people who have had green cards who have been Mm. picked up because you can change your immigration status, but you can't change the color of your skin or your last name or your accent, you know, those types of things.
0: So it's being targeted because you're not white, basically. Correct, correct.
1: And it's putting fear. It's putting fear Mm. into people. And then the other thing, you know, we get obviously folks who are, wondering how they're going to feed their families we have such an influx of people that we've never seen before Mm. even people that i know who have businesses who you know can't afford to feed their families now coming in with their heads down asking for food and things like that it's just Mm. it's totally sad and you know and then the other component is uh the parents who are wondering are my children going to pass are they going to you know graduate are they going to how are they going to learn they're just learning english or they're just learning how to read and how is this going to uh, affect them next year when they go to school
0: and this fear i think is universal there's so much fear right now in the society both over the virus but also about the way it's impacting school and and businesses and work and I think for a lot of folks, there are major injuries to their pride, too, that they're suffering through. Absolutely. uh, And their dignity, which is really tough. How do you also find inspiration and hope amidst that?
1: You know, because we have been able to have actual community members out delivering food and providing services, whether it's helping disinfect the office or packaging the foods or getting the orders of masks or gloves, or it was just such so many things happening at once that actual community members are doing that gives them a sense of pride because even they know they don't have anything to give. Right. But they're giving something at least Mm. and the gratitude, the gratitude of people Veronica, she's our community organizer, and she's been the real mastermind behind the food distribution. And she and a community member went and drove out, I think, to Monroeville to deliver some food as they pulled off. About five minutes later, the gentleman called and and she said, oh, I'm sorry, did I forget something? And the man was almost in tears saying, thank you. This is the first warm meal my son has had in two weeks. Wow. (laughs) I don't know just hoping that we can get out of this with some really good learning experiences.
0: You think about America coming out of this and what is the message that America needs to take to heart from what we're experiencing now?
1: You know, this was a time where everyone was affected and really just looking at the way that we behaved, the way that we reacted, what did we do to make the situation better or worse? And how did we do it? Hmm. at casa we work primarily with immigrants but we've had some folks from beachview come as well needing food we don't turn anyone away and we've had some families from other countries not spanish-speaking countries like middle east and africa Hmm. that have needed help and we're there we're there Hmm. we know the need right now and even when i'm on calls or in meetings both here locally or statewide or nationally, I'm not just advocating for the undocumented Latinos in Pittsburgh. I'm advocating for all affected people across this country. Mm. Because that's who I care about.
0: Do you think that that makes our country stronger and not just the immigrant community stronger?
1: Absolutely. 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 I'm convinced there's wonderful people in this world, in this country that just needed this moment to kind of open their eyes and see what's going on and that great things will come from them.
0: Well, terrific. I think that's a beautiful place to actually conclude. The name of this program is Stronger Than This and beyond the virus, what would you say we're stronger than?
1: We're stronger than the larger virus that has been plaguing our country for many years. This might have been the, the way that we wake up from it and find a cure.
0: Monica, I think that's gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think about this conversation and you've painted a compelling picture of people who are struggling, who are having to look for help in ways that they never thought they would. Yet you've also painted a picture of people who do that and still want to help themselves and restore their own sense of connectivity and hope and dignity by offering help that they themselves need, which I think is a, an absolutely gorgeous way of looking at what our society can be. Uh, I really appreciate the way you've touched in this conversation on what a moral outlook is what it is to be a moral human being in the context of a democratic political construct. Your notion of us holding on to remembering how we helped each other in this moment, may that be something that everybody hates. Thank you so much for joining us and I'll look forward to all our future work together.
1: Thank you, thank you very, very much.